Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, what are some of your favorite wines? Rick, I pretty much will drink anything. Well, unfortunately, you're wrong. <laughs> no, you, according to your DNA, and don't ask how I got it, <laughs> your, your favorite is chocolate cactus milk. Yeah, that sounds like it'll go with. How did you get my DNA? You, you just told me not to ask. So, uh, well, I, I rooted through your garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, the stuff you throw away, I'm telling you. <laughs> Good. Um, anyway, I bring this up because uh, there's yet, and you're gonna love this, another new uh, business. Not a study. study. No, no, this is a business. Okay, a but business. it's sort of based on a study uh, out there, <laughs> and they w- they promise to find you your perfect wines and and using your DNA. Using my DNA. Yes, uh-huh. and if you don't uh, love the wine, you may fall in love. And marry the wine. Well, yeah, why wouldn't it's... they just take what I spit out as I'm tasting wine? That would give them their DNA, and it would also tell them what I don't like to drink. Uh, that could be true. Uh, don't ask me. I didn't. I start the business. I just report on these things. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. What do you so got? So also today we got listeners asking about the grapes and rosé. Mm-hmm. What's the best material for wine glasses, and why we sometimes don't know what grapes are in a wine. Hmm. Plus. Oh, hold on is something when we get to our horrible wine writing. We have some head-spinning attempts at literary descriptions. Oh, God. And in Stuff We Love, our friend Paul here is going to tell us about a particular hamburger. An hamburger. Hamburger, which gives you a hint of where that was. Uh, and, of course, we'll be making fun of wine snobs, as we always do. And a couple of quick reminders that we also still have, which is that we're still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. The mind boggles. It is. This is an NPR station, and yet. Um, so thank you, folks. We are also uh, still on Napa Broadcasting. Yes, uh, an institution of higher learning at Napa Valley College, and yet they carry our show. Yes, you would think they should know better, but I've heard some things about them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the DNA thing. Yeah, uh, I can so hardly wait for I knew this. you were excited, Paul. Um, yeah. so, all right. So here's how it works. This, this new company has you fill out a survey about your food and drink likes and dislikes, which you might think is just enough right there, but don't, you know, we're going yeah, for a little no, further. because they want you me to spit in a cup. Well, you send it in a saliva sample. That's sort yeah. of true. And for DNA analysis. Then they analyze the DNA. They crunch some numbers. They run you through the FBI's crime computer. No, they don't. Yeah. Uh, no, and if you no, they do. And if you're not wanted for a major crime, okay, okay, they don't. They don't really. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> That's not a good business model. <laughs> My skeptical, skeptical friend. All right. So what they do is that is uh, they uh, this company was started by people with genetic science backgrounds. Yeah. No so they surprise. had they know what they're doing at least on the genetic side. Yeah. They did a whole bunch of trials, um, and they found that there's like ten thousand pieces of genetic data that could affect taste, and then uh-huh. they narrowed that to nineteen genes. And alleles and cross-referenced with the surveys. I have no idea what that means. I don't either. Okay. They surveyed stuff. They took some gene stuff. They they took out a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they circled some wines. Okay. And then, then from there, it's sort of like a wine club. What they do is they send wines that they choose for you, and then you send back your information whether you like it or not, so they're getting some more information about you and have an even better database. And they say now only 3% of the wines are returned. Well, yeah. If you send me wine, I'm not going to return yeah, it. Yeah, who returns wine anyway? That's right. right? You drink yeah. it, and you drink it, and yes. there you go. Yeah, and you, you might make an argument if with the, you know, why do you need the DNA? You know, if you just have the survey if, and if say, people, I used to like this. Right. People fill out a survey that says, here's what I like, and you send them wines like that, they're going to like them. Yeah, yeah. Rick, well, we could start a company. Well, we we got to do something useful. <laughs> sure. Why? Yeah. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> yes. well, you're going to point to that. Yes. Why start now? Because one of these days, uh, one of us is going is gonna to need to earn a living. <laughs> oh, dear. So, and, but it, it does sort of bring up an interesting question, which is, 
How much is of your taste is natural? How much of it is acquired? How much right. of it is influenced by the influences of the people around you, the things that are suggested, right. you know? And, and I'm going to argue that a big part of what we like is influenced by what we put in our mouths before and after. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So in that case, what, are they shipping the gorgonzola with the port or are you just getting the port and you got to come up with the gorgonzola on your own? No, it's a whole different DNA uh, research for a gor- <laughs> gorgonzola. That's a, that's a different company. That's the che- the chosen cheese company. That's right. Um, and uh, But, you know, I mean, we I, I bring this up. It's like the uh, orange wine. You know, yep. I, I've had some orange wines. I've like yep. none of them. Yeah. They all they taste the orange wine. Shall is, I explain what orange wine You is? should explain orange okay. wine because I'm just going to rant. And, and Yeah, no, we don't want you to rant. No. You do enough of that already. But, Let me tell you about orange wine. So you know that when you make red wine, the juice is white and you soak it with the skins during fermentation and it absorbs the color of the skins, which are red, and that's how you get red wine. Well, orange wine, they do the same thing with grapes whose skins are white. So you soak it with the skins, and it extracts some of those same compounds, but they only add a little color. What they do add is more flavor. They add some tannin. They add some richness. But they also add some astringency and sometimes a little bit of bitterness. So the question is, why? And then the second thing is, if you want a red wine, why don't you drink a red wine? If you want a white wine, why don't you drink a white wine? And if you drink an orange wine... Okay, fine. Well, and another step in that process for some of those orange wines is, is without getting too technical, is they let the wine get oxidized a little bit, which also changes the flavor. Right. And you know, it gives it a, a certain kind of a metallic flavor that uh, the geeks swear they actually like. Right. I'm Although if they discovered it in another wine, it they would, would hate yes. defect. So yes. this is my point. So this is the thing. You know, it's with um, is. Maybe they do like it. Maybe they do like it because their friends like it. Maybe they do like it because they talk about it enough Maybe that it becomes like interesting. Maybe they like it, Rick, because it has alcohol in it. You know, there's a that's a solid theory. <laughs> there's, alcohol can have some has yeah. an impact on things. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of wine do you like? I like wines with alcohol. With alcohol. Well, and there you go. Yeah, maybe we should have those guys drink the orange wines without alcohol. There you see, go. <laughs> see if they still like them. Yes, or let, let them not see. Yep. So in any case, uh, th- there you go, folks. Uh, th- you know, there's another way to do this. I'm sure there is. To, and and you've uh, it's it's the it's the, our cell phone trick. Right, the cell phone trick. Take the pictures of the wines you like. Yep. Take the pictures of wines you don't like, but turn your phone sideways. Now yep. you have wines you don't like and wines you yep. do like, and then ask your wine shop or now, your Rick, wine Now, I have a way to make that even easier because I've seen you do this in public. It's just carry both balls around? No, no. In When you take the cell phone and you take it horizontally, you don't actually have to lie down. You can just turn the phone oh, and take the picture that's side. a thought. See, see, so I don't have to go sideways on that. Watching you lie down on a, uh, it yeah. is, it, well, it is. A, it's sometimes uncomfortable. It's yeah. a little uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, right. for well, all of us. Well, speaking of uncomfortable, <laughs> now we're about to take some questions. Excellent. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And if you'd like to ask us a question, the place is our website, rickandpaulwine.com. If you're not already there, yep. And if you are there, don't forget we are also on iTunes. Easy place to subscribe, listen to us in the car. Try not to crash when you laugh with laughter. At um, us or with us, we don't care. We don't. Yes, yes. We just take our laughs. All right. This first one comes from Matthew in Sacramento. Uh huh. He said, "You guys talked about wine glasses." Okay, I got to tell you, that's actually Matt Piscini, our producer. Oh, so it's not Matthew. It's Matt. <laughs> it's Matt. Okay. I was, uh, you we know, should was, have him on the air. He uh, should come in and ask this yes, question. Yes. No, he doesn't want to talk to us. He, that's why he's in the other booth. <laughs> <laughs> he's smarter than that. 
So you said you guys were talking about wine glasses a couple weeks ago. My friends and I we were talking about how wine tastes better in glasses than in plastic cups, or we imagine it does. Yes. Um, but I'm wondering if regular glasses are better than plastic cups, are crystal glasses even better? Well, you know, there's two things going on here. Um, one of them is, for example, the wonderful research, and here, Rick, strike me dead, I'm about to quote a study. Oh! But, wait a minute, wait a minute, write this down. <laughs> Paul likes studies. <laughs> but uh, there have been all sorts of wonderful studies in the restaurant business that show that if you serve food on heavy plates with heavy silverware, right. the customer is willing to pay more money for it because it tastes better to them. Well, and I know that study. And so there is a place of studies that we, you and I both trust, which is our friends at the Cornell School yes. of Hospitality Administration. And they, they do some great studies. And they do yep. this stuff over and over. And they keep coming up with really consistent results. Yep. And, yep. That's, and that's one of them. So, and, you know, and so I'm, right off the right. bat, serve me wine in a plastic cup or a beautiful crystal glass, and I am subconsciously already thinking the wine is better when it comes in the crystal glass. Now, the other thing, and... And, and we've, we've actually seen those studies where people knowing that the wine, thinking that the wine is good or expensive, they have their pleasure centers light up. They're already oh, yeah, they're liking it. it before they yes. even taste it. Now, I'm, the other thing like is, and, and Matt specifically mentions plastic cups, and remember, a plastic cup, I'm sitting here staring at one in our studio. It's got water the plastic, in it this time. Yeah, the plastic cup doesn't have that rounded tulip shape. And the rounded tulip shape helps sort of capture a little bowl full of the aroma of the wine for you. And the plastic cup doesn't have that shape, so it doesn't do that. So that's another reason. But then the next question is, okay, so if we made a plastic Wine perfectly glass. shaped pass perfectly shaped they plastic do. wine glass yeah. they do uh, but at the same time it still doesn't taste quite so good because it doesn't feel as heavy and that lifting that glass besides which Rick, you and I both know that one of the great moments in wine appreciation is when you finish that last little drop of a truly great bottle of wine and you throw the glass over your shoulder and shatter it against a chimney? Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. 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 And you just yeah. can't do that with yeah. a plastic no, glass. No, it doesn't break. So you know what you have to do? You have to throw it against the wall, then you go over, stomp on it. It just loses the romance. <laughs> it totally loses romance. Well, and yeah, and so, and, and there is a, you know, there's also an argument for the thinner the lip, the sort of the more evenly the wine goes on your tongue and gets, right. you know. And right, so, that's what works for you. Yes. You got thin lips and um, so you Yeah, and that's why I get the bottles with the thinner rounded so I can just drink straight <laughs> from the bottle. That's right. Yeah, so, but, the, right. but the truth of it is it's probably not, you know, for some reason, when this is, comes off what we were talking, they, we had the question from our friend in Davis uh, the other week about um, you know, a good set of wine glasses. And, right, and. Right. If you love it, that's great. If it makes you feel great, but there yeah. really isn't a whole lot of proof yeah. that that makes the wine yeah. taste. And I do know better. people who have handcrafted ceramic wine glasses that a friend who's a world famous potter has made for them, and they think wine tastes better in that. And, and you those know are what? really hard to throw against the wall and break. You know, well, yeah, but boy, when they, <laughs> when they do, hit the wall, it's a good sound. They do some damage. <laughs> All, right. All right, this was from Cheryl in Santa Barbara. She says, um, and this is a really good question, and frankly, I think I'm with her on this, but it's a little more complicated. Does it really matter what a, what grape a rosé comes from? The taste profile always seems to be similar, and there's almost always a strawberry thing going on. Okay, well, the st I'm not sure there's a strawberry thing going on, but when you see something pink, your mind immediately says strawberries, yeah. whether it's there or not. So that's why you're getting the strawberry thing. I think it does. I um, there are there are two parts of of making rosé. The first one is 
do you pick the grapes when they're bright and fresh and juicy yes. or do you pick them later when they're ripe enough to make a big heavy red wine? And if you pick them in the latter case, the wine has more power but it doesn't have that freshness. Right. I think that there are certain grapes that are particularly really good for for rosé. I think Grenache is really good for rosé. Uh, I've had some good Sangiovese rosé. Mm-hmm. Zinfandel makes pretty good rosé if you Wait, pick it early. Wait, they call that white zin. White zin, yes. exactly But if right. you put some sugar on it, then it's uh-huh. Zinfandel rosé. But then the other yeah. half is you've got people who are making big, rich, intense Cabernets, and they're just pulling a little of that juice off in the beginning of fermentation and calling it rosé, and it tastes big and heavy and rich and doesn't taste like rosé, and that doesn't taste good to me. Although I've had some that are actually interesting, but they're different. And so there, I, I agree. And I'm being a little facetious, but I will say that, you know, and I actually had this conversation once with a winemaker whose name I won't use to, to I don't want to embarrass him for being my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, but, he, he, you only think he's your friend. Yes. Well, he pretended, actually. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, and we were talking about that strawberry note, and he says he, he was always sort of, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of grape, red grapes do given yeah. in that process. Yeah. You know, and it is, it's a lovely note. I yeah. love it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but it is a certain similar thing that yeah. often you, you yeah. can get through there. But um, but it, t- to her question, I've had good rosés made from Syrah, Sangiovese, Grenache, yeah. Merlot, Zinfandel. There's a lot of different grapes that make good rosé. We should do a show on rosé, Paul. We should just drink some. And we should do that too. Yeah, and, and but I think maybe the uh, Cheryl, maybe the the biggest point is what Paul made earlier. Though it also really matters is when that grape was picked. You know how yeah. how rich and full the flavors there are, and how and then yep. of course how it, how how it's made because if the longer it sits on the skins, the, the, the darker flavor it gets. will be different too. So. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul, and up next we've got some uh, pretty horrible wine writing for you. I can hardly wait. So these these are really uh, grab something grab something sable uh, a railing a chair sit in a chair sit in a chair uh, yeah, fasten yeah. your seatbelt because these are these are two pretty horrible bits of wine writing um, that attempt <clears throat> attempt to try to sound literary. Oh, good. Okay, well, you're going to have to help me on this. Yeah, well, I, that's true. Yes, we'll just, literary we'll, is really beyond you, Paul. I beyond us. Yes. We'll just sort of work yes, our way through it. So the first one starts with verbena. Aloe vera, melisse, lemon balm, and finally the usual apple. <laughs> the palate is always, as always. So this is, is to, to be fair, this is a writer writing about a wine that this writer has written about before. Right. So All, yes. Okay. The palate is always shady and cool, though more overtly mineral than usual. But the finish crescendos into a salty tide that clings and doesn't quit. I knew a girl like that one. <laughs> I love when, writer's name removed so we don't get sued, writes about finishes that last a minute. A minute? Dude, this little <laughs> insignificant wine has a finished you taste for 10 minutes, and the only way to obliterate it is with the next wine. Okay. But, you know, this actually sounds like somebody who's in a tag team wrestling match, and I'm not sure they're winning. Yeah. Dude. Dude. Uh, so. 
The right. usual apple. The usual I, apple. I love the fact that they go into, she goes into verbena, aloe vera, melise, lemon, blah, blah, blah. And then how many different kinds of apples are there? It's just the usual the apple. Usual. Well, I, it may be saying that this wine always, is, this is a German reasoning, by the way. Okay, um, yeah. But the other thing is lemon balm is a common name for the flower that is melise. Well, so then you've got the Melise lemon balm, and yes. he's con- he's very consistent. Well, there. what he's saying is, yeah, it's got Melise and Melise. And finally, the usual apple, apple. Yeah. Maybe he yeah, should maybe have the usual apple, apple. Double and apple. A salty tide. Salty that tide. Clings and doesn't quit. So you've got the this palate tide. is shady, and cool. Yeah. Shady. Yeah. So uh, does your palate often get sunny, Rick? Uh, yes, unless I put a little umbrella over my tongue. <laughs> and that's what those umbrellas are yeah. for in those drinks, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the question, you know, with all that is did we get – so what we got out of this was it's kind of salty. It's got some flowery thing going on and it's and got it a long And it clings finish. and it doesn't let go. Yeah. Boy, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've I'm been not, that way. I'm not putting this in my mouth. Yeah, yeah right, because now you can, it's like you're yanking. Get away, get away. Help, help. It's like the glass won't oh, leave. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> all right. So, okay, so, so what do you have? So mine is uh, somebody who is uh, the completely in love with descriptions, oh, way good. too many. I mean, good. It's these yeah. giant noun clauses. Dusty garnet black color. Okay, that doesn't even make sense. Garnet black. Yes. Garnet black color. Garnet's red. Black is black. They wouldn't and color actually, is color. And yeah, you wouldn't need that, right? That's right. beside that. That's exactly right. But, okay. Yeah, so, good. But dusty. Yeah. Anyway, dusty garnet black color. Floral, elegant, mature aromas of Christmas pudding and sweet black cherry, orange blossom, and violet candy. Whatever that is. Violet candy, not candied violets, but violet, violet candy. candies. So maybe uh, I, I don't. You can I take don't a know. flower. You. I don't know. Freeze violet it, you, candy. You, I don't. I can't think of a candy that's violet. Well, it would be candy of, of flower. No, right, we're going down a bad road here. Okay, let Let's, me just keep going. All right, so it's got <laughs> sweet black to? cherry, orange blossom, and violet candy, new leather, and chocolate cookie with a velvety, dry yet fruity, medium full body. And here we go: okay. a thought provoking, endless dried forest berries, salted caramel, chocolate truffle, polished wood, and dusted jerked meats finish. <laughs> with fine silky tannins and modern purple. Life's puzzle pieces finally come together when drinking this wine. Well, we should just get a bottle. Uh, who cares what Life's it tastes like? Life's puzzle pieces come together. Life's puzzle pieces. That's good pieces. because it might I'll end. bet if you drank this wine, you could figure out what to do with that other wine that's clinging to your palate and won't let go. I'm thinking if we drank this wine, we would know why Capital Public Radio still lets us be on their podcast. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it's just that, uh, wow. Uh, yes. Uh, Endless dried forest berry, salted caramel, chocolate truffle, polished wood, and dusted jerked meats. Finished. It's the jerk meats finished. Yep. So this is a noun clause. That's like a noun. That's like saying dusted, big. But what's dusted jerked meats? Dusted jerked meats. That's a good question. Maybe it's... I have a clue. You don't uh, have any idea, yes. do you? All right. No. Well, there okay. We go. Yeah, well, we got to get right. more of that. So so uh, since we're being, we've been nasty for a minute or two, let's turn the page and we'll be lovable with something that uh, is stuff lovable. we love. Okay, good. You know, the guys with the trumpets are good, but she's really more oh, she's attractive. Good. Yeah, and the way she holds it, just that one note lets it yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we probably are paying her too much for that one note. <laughs> I don't saying. think so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. So, Paul, I understand you've had a major first. I was in France Mon recently, <laughs> Rick, and I had my first French hamburger. Yeah. Oui. Which is with how they say hamburger yeah. in French with uh, freedom fries. Yeah. So, so how was it? Uh, how was it different? Well, here's besides this Here was the stunner. 
which is I hadn't I hadn't been to France in a number of years, and I was surprised at the number of places that not only serve hamburgers, but literally, as you're walking through every cafe in France, they got hamburger on the, uh, right out there on the board. They're selling hamburgers. So are they selling hamburgers to American tourists? They no, selling hamburgers they're to selling hamburgers to French people. Who doesn't love a good hamburger? Who doesn't love a good hamburger? Yeah, well, that's interesting. And, and here's the key part of this. We're in France, Rick. So when you're eating your hamburger, when you're eating your hamburger in France, you no pick it up. Oh, you eat it with a knife and fork. Uh, of course you do. And so there were and all of these lovely the French people. No, no, you can't even lift your pinkies up. You have to leave the hamburger on your plate, uh, and then you cut it with a knife and fork, and you eat it with a fork. But it's still got the bun and all that it's other stuff. It's still got the bun mm-hmm. and all the stuff. Maybe not so much pickle, and frankly, the one we had wasn't all that great. So do you have to pick up your uh, fries with the well, fork? They did, we didn't. Mm. But but there were people looking at us in the restaurant because we were eating with our hands. And in France, you don't eat with your hands. I think they were looking at you askance <laughs> yeah. for other reasons. Maybe but. not because well, of the this, way we're eating our but France. However, this is good information for anybody going to France and getting a burger. That's right. Bring your own knife and fork. <laughs> I think they'll serve you that one. <laughs> That's cool, though. But I was them. amazed. I mean, every cafe, every bistro, every brasserie, right there on the signboard, right along with foie gras, was hammered. So you know uh, um, the the director Aaron the writer director Aaron Sorkin brilliant uh-huh. guy brilliant guy and uh-huh. he talks about like the shades of things in the world and how you know shows should be different and movies should be different yeah, yeah. but if you thought about the one meat based food on the planet that you get the most people to like it would be a hamburger yeah although you know it's funny um, we were unprepared for this. I mean, we didn't, you know, and, and frankly, we weren't going to order one, but it was our last day in France, and we'd stopped in, and we'd already ordered some nice salads for lunch, and my wife looked at me and said, you know, we've been seeing signs for these things. Yeah. we got to try one. Good for her. Let's order a hamburger. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. All right. There you go. And what wine did you drink with it? Well, actually, we drank beer. And, uh, and Rick, always a good choice. By the way... Um, if you want to feel sophisticated and oh so French, the next time you're served a hamburger, you might just consider eating it with a knife and fork. We be I shall be one of me. Well, now it is time to take some questions. All right. So our next question is from uh, Hannah and Reno or Rano. Uh, <laughs> Anna. Uh, Anna Anna. Um, so she says, I heard you guys argue about, <laughs> she wants, she's going to start an argument. I heard you guys argue about corkage and bring in your own bottle, so I thought I'd bring it up again. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is too much to charge for corkage and are there rules to what you can bring in? So I will say for the record, Paul and I disagree a little bit on the second half of that question about what you can and can't bring in. I'm a little more liberal on this one than he is. Yeah. Rick uh, is but, wrong and I'm right. Yes. <laughs> well, but then let's go to the, 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 <laughs> the core of this first about is what is too much to charge for corkage. Is there – you know, So to a certain extent, it kind of depends on the price of the restaurant. But I think most restaurants would say, look, if we normally make – a profit of 20, 30, 40 bucks on a bottle of wine that we're selling, and you're not buying off the list but bringing in your bottle, then we should be able to charge 20, 30, 40 bucks corkage. That's how we make up for the fact that we're not making it up on the wine we're serving. I understand that philosophy. Now, me, 40 bucks for corkage is. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, when you figure all they're doing is pulling a cork and getting two glasses dirty. Uh, I do know restaurants that have corkage that's even higher than that. Oh, yeah. But and I'm— that, that high corkages don't bring your wine in. Right. That, and that's—yeah. 
but so we didn't answer her first question, which is how much is too much? Um, you know me, I'm always happy with 25 and under. Yeah. Yeah. Anything this, under 25, I think, is yeah. okay. I have a restaurant in my neighborhood that um, used to charge four. And I said, why four? Why and not And then five? they saw you coming and they said, well, they no, charged for you, me a whole lot more. For you, eight. Yeah, they, moved, they moved it up to seven. <laughs> I like that it's not a round number. It's a very yeah. nice restaurant. And often they just, yeah. if, you give them, if you give them a, fl- a, yeah. a sip, they won't charge um, it. One of my favorite restaurants yeah. in Napa used to say, I think it was a $12 corkage fee, but it was donated to the local SPC. There you go. It was a lovely touch. That is, yeah, that yeah. is a totally. And so the second part is this. Um, and I'll first, let me make my argument, then Paul will tell you why I'm completely wrong. My argument is don't worry about it. You know, in theory, you shouldn't bring something in off of their wine list. Uh, it does feel like you're just um, like you're trying to, you know, avoid paying. Them avoid for the paying, wine. yeah. But you know, you should. But don't worry if it's an expensive wine or a cheap wine. If it's a wine you want to drink, then you bring it in. Okay, and my theory is that unless it's a special bottle, something that has particular meaning for you, you need to make really sure that it's not on the list because, frankly, they spend a lot of time putting together a good wine list together and all the rest, and then you walk in with something you just bought out of the supermarket saying, well, I just want to drink this because I'm trying to save money. That's not really what Corkage is designed for. Corkage is designed for you have a really nice wine list. We appreciate that, but my wife and I got engaged over a bottle of this wine, and it's our wedding anniversary, and that's what we want to drink tonight for dinner. That's what Corkage is for. Yeah, and one of the things, too, in, in defense of restaurants, uh, you know, restaurants, and actually the more expensive the restaurant, the thinner the margin is on food. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, the truth of it is that a lot of restaurants make it up at the bar. They make it up with right. their spirits. They make it up with their wine right. and their beer. And and so, you know, that is the when you're going out to a restaurant, it is part of the formula that you that wine costs too much, right? You know, and it's your right. choice. It's your yep. choice to deal with it. And so, yeah, you, know, you know, bringing your own bottle to escape the cost does always feel a little cheap. But I, but I, and then, I don't well, want to be just too rulesy about it. That's just well. The then difference. you've got the other thing, which is yeah. I live in Napa, and in Napa, of course, restaurants would not survive. If they wouldn't let, if right. they didn't let winemakers bring in their wine, so you have a winemaker who's hosting his distributor from Connecticut, and they go out to dinner, and the winemaker brings in six bottles of wine he's trying to sell to the distributor, and the restaurant is not going to charge him corkage on all those bottles because that would be suicide. No winemaker would eat there; the restaurant would disappear. Yeah. So each market's a little different. Yeah, yeah. Napa and actually a lot of wine country often, if you bring in wine from the region, yeah, they will uh, they'll just yeah, yeah, yeah. sign that one. So yep. so the the short answer is we didn't answer uh, either twenty five. We've sort of landed on twenty five as being okay. a nice price. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the rules are depends. <laughs> the, rule, the rules are listen to Paul and don't bring anything they got on the list. <laughs> All right, and the next one is from Pete from Lake Elsinore, which is down in Southern California. Uh-huh. Hamlet yeah. died there, didn't he? Uh, yeah, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, not not in Southern California. <laughs> I, don't think he, I, don't think he, I don't think he quite why, got that. Why far would west. you name a lake after the place Hamlet died? Because they are they're the fans of Shakespeare, they, <laughs> yeah, they believe they be, they're trying to sound literary like our wine writers. <laughs> okay. So uh, what uh, this is from Pete. He says we're, we we're near Temecula and we go wine tasting there a lot. We've come to understand if a wine says it's Merlot, it's it has to be seventy five percent Merlot. But lots of labels and lots of places don't tell us what's in the rest of it. Is 
Why is that allowed? Is that allowed? And why don't they tell us? Uh, yes, that's allowed. And they don't tell you because they want the flexibility of each year being able to wiggle a little this way or a little that way to make sure that the wine stays consistent in style. And that's the way the rules are. It is interesting that the French criticize these rules because in France, if a wine is varietal, it has to be 85 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, they have a little more uh, flexibility in terms of vintage. So if you see a French wine that says that it's a 2012, it can be up to... 10%, right? Uh, 15. Oh, 15, wow. 15 of and ounces. In the, the U.S., so, it's 5. You have, you right. Have, uh, so it's... Yeah. yeah. But it's... T- the theory is 75 is enough to make sure it tastes more or less like the varietal, but it still leaves the winery a little leeway if they want to blend a little something one way or the other to make sure that the wine stays consistent with their winery style. And and uh, in, in some cases they do tell you, in many cases they don't. In many cases they just don't want to distract you. They just don't. They say, this is right. our Merlot. Right. And, you know, and sometimes they say, well, we, we blend in a little Petit Verdot to give it something. And give sometimes it a we don't. Yes. I mean, so, uh, there are wineries right. that make it, sometimes it's 100 percent and sometimes it's 93 percent, right. yada, yada, yada. Yes. But don't, don't take it as, uh, as them trying to put something over on you. It's, no, although yeah. you should always assume that at least at some winery somewhere, somebody's trying to put something over on you. Oh, I, I assume everybody's trying to put something over <laughs> yeah, well, on you. Well, everybody is they trying to put something over on you. They see me coming, they see sucker. <laughs> the little, little giant sucker. It All may right. have that L that you wear on your hat. Yes. There that... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of suckers, folks, uh, you we suckered you in a, another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That's Thank right. you for listening. Our producer is Matt Pizzini. Thank our, you, Matt. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Yes. It's still a mystery one. And we'd like to ask us a question. The place is rickandpaulwine.com. And if you've learned anything today, we hope it. Be careful who you give your DNA to. You may get wine. You may get an FBI agent pounding on your door. Yeah, that's scaring me already. Yep. So I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially with us or an FBI agent. Or the FBI agent. <laughs> <laughs>